He was a sociopath. He said that I could never leave him. He controlled how I looked and what I wore. Then I was controlling when I left the house. And eventually, what I thought. What happened to him? Adrian's dead. Listen, you're getting your freedom back, okay? He said that wherever I went, he would find me. Walk right up to me, and I wouldn't be able to see him. Adrian is dead. He's not dead. He has figured out a way to be invisible. And welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Adam, and with me today, of course, is my uh, is our other co-host. Scott. And um, we're just going to go ahead and get the um, the business of the business out <laughs> right away, and then we'll get down into what we're talking about today. Um, so you can reach the B-Movie Podcast on um, Twitter and Instagram. It's uh, B-Movie Pod, letter B, the word movie, the word pod, all together, all no lines, no dashes, nothing like that. Um, Twitter is probably going to be less active on a state of lockdown. Um, I live in California. Scott lives in Georgia. So um, a little bit different lockdowns, like we're in complete lockdown. I'm working from home. Um, <laughs> I can't go out except for essential things like groceries, medical appointments, etc. cetera. Um, I think, Scott, you have a different lockdown. Yeah, we uh, we have, you know, bars, restaurants, places that one would gather in public uh, have all been closed. Uh, but. Uh, the rest is just kind of suggestion like you know don't uh, gather in groups of greater than 10 and uh, there are all kinds of exemptions for office businesses and stuff like that so I don't know some people think this is the perfectly kind of modulated response to things and then some people think uh, you know, you'll have to kill a few thousand of us and then we'll catch on and actually institute the the, the uh, restrictions that the rest of the country has instituted. So uh, at this point, I guess we'll only be able to find out in retrospect if this was a bright idea or not. But uh, business uh, seems to go on and social life, at least for the moment, has kind of come to an end. Yep. And so we're all practicing social distancing and, um, you know, staying in the house uh, for the most part. I mean, of course, you know, like like everybody says, I mean, you can go out in nature. You can like I mean, I was out in my backyard for a good hour just reading yesterday, um, which was very nice. Uh, But we're like, you know, like like everybody else, we're here and we're going to you know, we're going to have to bear down. And well, uh, it seems like, like not only have our social options have changed, but, um, the way that we ingest movies is changing a little bit. Um, but before, and we're going to be talking about that because literally there are movies available that, I mean, the, the standard theatrical window is about 90 days between home video and theatrical. And we have some films that are now going to be available within less than a week or two of their general release. That's nuts. Um, But, uh, you know, as COV-19 has changed everything else, uh, theatrical and and the studios, how they make money is going to have to change. And we're talking about that in a bit. But what we did want to talk about is because of all this time, um, Scott, what are you actually watching right now? Is there anything in particular that caught your eye when you were uh, throughout the last week since we last talked? 
Um, you know, not anything specific. I've done some catching up on uh, television. We mm. usually talk, you know, we usually talk film. Yeah. Uh, on uh, on our uh, podcast, and so uh, uh, my wife tends to be a big uh, television fan because it's kind of more digestible bites. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we can watch something in 20 minutes if it's a short show or, you know, 45 minutes. Uh, and so, uh, that tends to be where we focus our, our joint watching. Although, uh, over the last, I'd say week to two weeks, uh, we've kind of broken that pattern and we have gone back and started watching the Helen Mirren prime suspect episodes ah which are essentially 90 minute they're they're like yeah. the sherlock uh bbc things they're like 90 yep. to 120 minutes yeah and some of the early ones i had forgotten that uh, uh a few of the early ones are like over three hours long oh wow. and they're broken into like two 90 minute quote unquote episodes uh and so uh i mean literally we had probably last watched this show on like VHS or something, you know, I mean, ah. it had been, it had been so long since we'd seen these and we're such big British crime fans, uh, that we were trying to decide what to watch. And, uh, I mentioned, well, you know, they recently put out a set with all the seasons and, you know, one, one DVD set, uh, you know, we ought to go back and watch some of those. And uh, aside from one that was just so hilariously 80s that we could just couldn't make it through it, <laughs> uh, we, uh, you know, we uh, have been, been rewatching uh, those. And so it's just it's it's fun sometimes to see where things were born and the big British crime wave that uh, took over television uh, and produced so many great shows uh, along the way, of course, kind of started with Prime Suspect. And uh, so we just kind of like watching the the origin story of the the British television industry. Absolutely, um, I totally remember Prime Suspect being like a big thing on PBS, like all the time, like every single like it seemed like every uh, like um, when it hit here, like at least in the U.S., it seemed like there would be like three month span where all it was was prime suspect on PBS, like just constantly like promoting it. So, um, I had, I hadn't gotten around to the early, early stuff, the really early stuff, like the late eighties stuff. Um, but I have, I have looked at the, the newer stuff, the stuff that was in the nineties and the two thousands and, uh, prime suspects, a pretty badass. uh, I, I hate calling it a show because I mean, like literally you get like six episodes and they're all 90 minutes long. They're all like their own, <laughs> right. They're all their own self-contained, um, uh, their own self-contained story. So it, it, right. it really does feel like you're getting like six, like, you know, in a season you could get like six movies. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And the interesting thing about going back and watching some of those is, I don't know if it was because of the time or if it was because it was a female protagonist, but there's like very little personal life aspect to these. It's basically mm -hmm. just procedural. It, it's just the crime, the investigation, you know, that kind of thing. It's it's very uh, – they don't do the courtroom stuff, but it's very law and order direct. Yeah. Uh, and, and not a whole lot of what do these people do outside of work or, you know, so-and-so has a drinking problem or so-and-so is cheating on his wife or, you know, the kind of personal stories that you get 
uh, oftentimes in, in shows like that. And so uh, that's good and bad. That's, that's uh, with, some, with an actress as talented as Helen Mirren, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have minded having some of the personal life stuff because I think she would have done a great job of it. Uh, but it certainly makes the uh, the episodes uh, tighter and and kind of more focused, and it just truly becomes a crime show. Absolutely, and I mean, so like a question to you about that that aspect of it. Like the thing that I I really love about the X Files is that there's no personal interpersonal stuff on it, and it kind of keeps it. A little bit fresher than like say uh, a show that I really loved that I actually recently just kind of took a look at a couple of episodes on um, and it's aged really weirdly um, which is NYPD Blue which is all interpersonal it seems like there's like a little bit of the case solving but a lot of just interpersonal Um, do you think that that would have affected it even though Helen Mirren is like you know one of our great actresses, I mean, literally one of the great actresses of our time, if they had put in like, like circa 1980s, like the cliched, like the cliched, like cop, like storylines for personal, interpersonal stuff. Do you think that it would have affected it? Yeah. You know, uh, honestly, you know, when you think about just kind of the stereotypical, personal life kind of stories you think yeah it's just as well that they lost that mm-hmm. and and it was also like they were they were experimenting a little bit because in the first season uh she had a boyfriend oh and, okay uh, and so i mean it wasn't a lot but there was some brief uh you know interludes with the boyfriend and but it was headed in kind of the same old direction. You know, you're not really in this relationship. You know, you're married to your job. The usual subplot that you see uh, in cop shows. Okay. And so I think maybe even they decided. I don't really know that this is working because magically by you know uh, season two he's gone. Uh, but one of the fun things about going back and watching some of these shows is the boyfriend was Tom Wilkinson. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's like everywhere you look, you know, they're like these great, uh, you know, stars and everything like uh, we just um, uh, finished one uh, yesterday uh, that was based uh, the the storyline kind of intersected with like a Bosnian war crime from years ago. And one of the characters was a photojournalist and he's played by Liam Cunningham Davos from Game of Thrones uh, 30 years ago. And all my wife could do was be like, oh, my gosh, he is so good looking. And I was like, <laughs> yes, great. Thank you, dear. Appreciate that. You know, yeah, all uh, sexy and young at the age of 30 or whatever, instead of what, probably 60 in Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, so uh, but so it was amazing, like the actors like Mark Strong is a regular on the show. Uh, mm. and so, uh, lots of, of, of great actors, uh, but I think probably the right choice to kind of veer away, uh, from too much of the personal stuff. So, uh, we're kind of Anglophile freaks and have, have watched all kinds of, you know, Inspector Morse and, and Lewis and, uh, all of the different, uh, really good British crime shows, uh, as well as, you know, Scandinavian crime shows. We're big fans of Wallander. Uh, or Wallander, as they call it, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and so uh, we decided to kind of go back to where it started. Absolutely, um, 
That's... Biding our time till Ozark hits on uh, the twenty seventh, <laughs> which is which is coming up literally five days. I mean, um, I have been biding my time by just doing like um, by uh, by kind of like hitting things that I know that I've been wanting to watch, like the great. I'm calling it the great catch up of twenty twenty. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that I'll um, that I've been going through, like just going into cri- the the Criterion channel and like you know just picking things at random that I have on my list. Um, one of the things, and I'll I'm gonna point to the article that I wrote about it was I went and rewatched all seven Police Academy movies. Oh, <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Probably not quite like uh probably not quite like uh, seven seasons of Prime Suspect. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um the like, you know, where probably Prime Suspect has aged aged like a fine wine, uh Police Academy has aged like like a rotted vinegar. It's just it is like and- the oh, go ahead. I was going to say one thing uh, that I was going to interject here real quick, interrupt mm-hmm. you. Uh, I was trying to find a uh, a source for the prime suspect mm-hmm. uh, show, see if there was something online, and they are currently all on Hulu. Oh, nice. So I, I thought I had recollected that they run Netflix, uh, and I was wrong, and so I was sitting here double-checking while you were speaking, and so if anybody is interested in checking out uh, prime suspect all of the seasons uh, are currently available on Hulu and I'll link to those in the show notes guys so um, that's actually pretty exciting uh, that they're all available on Hulu um, Police Academy is available all seven are available on Netflix I uh, the nicest thing I can say about about should them, we watch the odds or the evens or uh, did you come up with a formula as to what the best ones were uh, there's no fucking formula <laughs> for these things um i will say this much uh, i will be very kind about uh warner brothers provided netflix with some beautiful transfers like these things are really really nice um i've like i've watched a cu- i was watching a couple on my my big uh my 75 and um it looks like they may have provided i didn't really double check but they may have provided netflix with 4k transfers um oh, wow. yeah like because it, it does definitely look a lot nicer than um than i've ever seen them before and they've, they've got that that filmic quality that 4k has um so yeah but uh so like the first one is like what the thing that i didn't realize and i'm just gonna like i'm gonna briefly just talk about them because they're really not uh, I don't know if they're really worthy of talking about them. I mean, they were just something to preoccupy my time. And really, I was actually really like, I was really excited until I got through the first three. And then I was like, oh, Jesus, this is just bad. And then it was a whole thing of like, well, I started, I might as well complete it. Um, but the thing was, was like the first one is literally a stripes ripoff. Like, whoever thought that this was a genius idea without Bill Murray was a fucking moron because <laughs> I think I think Gutenberg was supposed to be like the affordable Bill Murray, maybe it, at the time. Exactly. And then, I mean, I will tell you this much. The Goot. Mm hmm. Nope. Oh, he is no <laughs> Bill goot. Murray. Yeah, the Goot <laughs> is no Bill Murray. Hell, he's he's not even no. He's not a Ted Danson or a Tom Selleck. Um, if you catch yeah. my drift. <laughs> yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um. So he would have been what fresh off cocoon. 
Yeah. Did that precede Police Academy? Um, you know what? I am not a hundred percent sure. I'm I'm not the I'm not the hugest fan of the goot. Um <laughs> I never was. Like I always felt like, you know, that, that movie we just t- like that movie that I just referenced, um, I was always a bigger Ted Danson fan and Tom Selleck fan. I mean, I just looked at Gutenberg was like he was like I don't know, like like he always felt like um like he was supposed to be this like middling kind of semi good yeah, looking been, would have been a year later. Okay. Police, so their first police academy was 84, mm-hmm. which and, uh, I, I hate to say I was 15. So <laughs> naturally I saw it in the theater uh, and uh, cocoon was 85. Yeah. So. so it would have been, well, it would probably his breakout would have been diner, right? Oh yeah, 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 sure. Like he was like this <clears throat> he's this like like semi good looking, semi funny, semi charming. Everything about yeah, him is semi. Yeah. It's like it's not yeah. he doesn't have like wattage of charm. He doesn't have he's not super funny. Um so it just kind of makes for this very eighties like this very eighties protagonist. Like, you know, it's like, you know, the ones I'm talking about, like, Oh like, yeah. Like every single, like, you know, comedy had this like innocuous white dude, like, right. like who just right. like, other than, you know, like was just there, but, but you're, but you're right. It was like, you know, well, some people will find him good looking. Some people will find him funny. You know, some people will find him this way. And so maybe if you put all those people together, it's a hit film. <laughs> and they were like, the thing was, was other than the last one, which was mission to Moscow. Um, each one of them, like I was reading, uh, I was doing a little bit of research. Cause I was like, I got to see about these fucking things. Um, each one of them debuted at number one of uh, like wow. every single one of them. And, Every single, like, they literally, like, they were like a machine. Warner Brothers brought them out year after the year, same time, like, around yep. March or April, because it was the doldrums, and everybody could have, like, you know, everybody wanted to go see a, a Police Academy movie, I guess, in, in the 80s. Um, it, it was just, it was wild to watch these movies, like, and just see how they recycled jokes over and over. And the plots are all the same. It starts off with, like... The gang has to has to deal with the, the the sergeant or the lieutenant. It was either Lieutenant Mauser or Sergeant Harris or whatever the hell his name is. And they always like they have like some shenanigans going on. And then at the end, the last 30 minutes, all of a sudden, like the saxophone music comes on and like it gets all super serious for a police academy movie. And they have to have some kind of like, you know, they have to show how competent they are, even though they're a bunch of fuck ups that fucking that that just like I wouldn't want I wouldn't want the. I wouldn't want these fucking kids. I don't. I wouldn't want any of these guys even patrolling um, Mayberry. Like, like these guys are. They, these guys are like other. Like, like I, I, I have like a little journal that I'm doing on the on the site uh, called Preoccupation, and this was like the centerpiece of it, and it was just a takedown of this stupid fucking. This these stupid fucking movies. Like I don't normally do that, but I was so pissed off by the end. I was just like, okay, I gotta talk about these these things. You know, and and, and it's amazing though that that there were some talented folks, you know, in those films. I mean, yeah. it's like you think of Kim Cattrall went on to you know Sex in the City, uh, um, Sharon you Stone. Know. Yep, and uh, and you've got uh, even like G W Bailey. Yeah, uh, wound up you know being on the closer. Yep. 
and then major crimes, those mm-hmm. TV shows. And so, I mean, he was on those two shows combined for probably 15 years. And honestly, I thought it was one of the best things about both of those shows. So, uh, you know, you got a talented cast. You've just got super cheesy, stupid <laughs> material. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, um, like it was just, it was wild. Like just watching these because it's like you. I kept on saying to myself, only in the fucking eighties, this these things would never be made now. Like the way that, like they could not be made intact right now because just how much, like, and it's not even like the bad characters. It's just everybody, all the sexism, racism, uh, the homophobia. Oh my god, the homophobia is like so just out there, and just like the blue oyster joke. Like that shows up in like five or six of the the like it's the same thing as like these guys get stuck like like I I didn't realize when I was a kid watching it going oh shit this is just this is really like they say cruising is bad these fucking movies were were terrible for for the gay community it literally you have strangers walking into a gay bar and the joke is is that as soon as the music goes on. You know, like the ha 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 moment is, is that these guys that walked in are going to be raped by these gay men. <laughs> like, I'm like, right. Really? That, that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and I oh, just, man, it was a different. And, you know, and the funny thing is, is as, as, as the one person <laughs> who appears <laughs> on this uh, podcast, who was like, you know, a teenager in yeah. the 80s. Nobody thought anything about it. I mean, there was literally no discussion. It wasn't like people were saying, oh, my God, can you believe that joke about whatever? And and I can't figure out if it was just like this incredibly bigoted time <laughs> or if it was just like if you poked fun at everybody, you got away with it. Yeah, no. You, because, I mean, there yeah. were plenty of like, you know, I mean, how many uptight white guy jokes are there in those movies as well? Exactly. I mean, that's the whole joke about all of the commanding officers is that they're, they're just these uptight, rep- repressed white men or whatever. And so it's like as long as you made fun of, you know, I don't know, you know, well-endowed women, uh, gays, blacks, Asians and uptight white guys all equally, then you were safe. And I think that that's what the I think that was what this whole thing was, was like the takedown of society in general. Yes, exactly. Like just as long as everybody kind of took a joke on the chin, uh, then uh, you could get away with it. Whereas, you know, these days, yeah, those movies would 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 not play well uh, with the general audience. No, absolutely not. Um, it, um, I will say this: like, I have to, I have to be at least positive in something. Um, the v, uh, the MVP, the two MVPs of this series, and they only show up uh, occasionally in these, is Bobcat Goldthwait as Zed, uh, first an enemy, then a police officer who right. just, I mean, he just brings his normal brand of comedy to the thing, and they just plucked him into it. But like everything he says and does is so just like acronistic and weird that you like that it that it's kind of and it's bobcat and i forgot how much i love like bobcat from this era and then of course the great 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 howard hessman um hessman is like somebody who i uh i mean it's it's no surprise that they brought him in because of the fact that um hugh wilson the director of the film was also the creator of wkrp in cincinnati one of my favorite shows as a kid that my dad used to show me all the time um 
So yeah, uh, he's in it and he's just great because he's just put like he plays this like put upon um, police captain that literally looks at these guys through a re a mirror of reality and like at a certain point it's just going who the fuck are these idiots why do i have these idiots <laughs> i'm i'm like literally playing the howard hessman role that he always like that he always like ended yes. up playing um and i had totally forgotten he was in those movies and you're right his his take on that was hilarious yeah so um if and any don't forget oh. the noise guy oh yes don't forget the michael winslow my the... okay so I was really wigged out by by this because so there's a whole arc for his character. His character went from just like the guy who um did the voice the the sounds, which is only right. like, you know, which gets tiring after the first 30 minutes of the first fucking movie. <laughs> but then somewhere along the line they start making the noises a part of like you know his like powers and then it becomes a superpower that allows him to do things like imitate like badly subtitled uh like uh kung fu <laughs> movies or martial arts movies and become a grandmaster a la the wu-tang like I, I was i like that at one point i just literally dropped my jaw dropped and i was like i literally just just said what the fuck to the screen because he literally does one of those um shaolin monk jumps and he does the, the sound <laughs> right. and he literally levitates and i'm like like at that point, I was like, "Fuck you, movie! I'm done with this." <laughs> um, so yeah, it was both a frustrating and interesting watch. Um, I, mean, I I will tell you something that you you should watch and that people out there uh, listening should watch. You know, when you when you see him in those movies, and then yeah. he was in things occasionally after those movies, but not yeah. really. And you wonder, is he still doing this stuff, or what is he doing? He was on some late night talk show. Uh, a couple of years ago, did you see this where he did Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love? No. Oh my gosh. Okay, just uh, so go out there and if you just Google Michael Winslow Led Zeppelin, it's gonna come up, and it's you know many YouTube videos out there of this performance. And <laughs> dude, it's amazing. I mean, as much as it may be like a gimmick, if you put him in a movie, mm -hmm. uh, it's just amazing. I mean, he's doing the the Jimmy Page. Uh, you know, riff with his mouth, and oh, wow. it sounds so much like it. It's crazy. And then he's doing the Robert Plant wailing vocals on top of the riff, uh, <laughs> and and doing so throwing in some John Bonham drums. And dude, it's crazy. It's like, how do you do that? He's doing. It, it feels like he's doing them all simultaneously, but he's not really. Hmm. And so, so just as trivia, if if you if you grew up on those movies or if you've seen those movies and thought, gee, I wonder what happened to that guy, uh, he's he's a one man Led Zeppelin these days. All right, I will. I'm actually going to go ahead and mark that onto the onto the show notes. Um, this is like the most eclectic film podcast ever. <laughs> seriously, seriously. Um, so. Uh, with that, um, I think that that's more than enough. Seven seasons of Prime Suspect and seven Police Academy movies uh, to get your high-low, as they say, and a Michael Winslow YouTube video. <laughs> Actually, instead, just watch High and Low, and you'll probably be much happier. Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> watch High Low, the Akira Kurosawa amazing film. Um, uh, but uh, with that, we're going to get to our, our main feature, which is uh, the theatrical window has been broken on um, so 
uh, with the lockdown has come uh, the closing of theaters or mo- many theaters. And probably by the month's end, we're probably going to see um, most movie theaters close down. I mean, there are still there are still certainly stuff in the I was looking at in the Midwest um in the Midwest, but I'm talking like mid Midwest. I'm like talking, not Chicago. I'm talking like, you know, I'm talking like Kansas, Missouri, like places like that. There are still theaters that are operating, but on the coasts and major metropolitan areas, most theaters are closed. And so a lot of movies uh, like, so the studios, and this is something that me and Scott have been talking about offline. A lot of the movies, a lot of the studios have been rumbling about how to make money and they basically did what everybody had thought that they probably would do, but we're all joking about, um, uh, which has sent, I would say, fair amount of shockwaves through the this anxiety-driven society. Um, oh my God, everything's broken. Um, but they started to release um, movies. The, the theatrical window is gone. It's, so basically, they're releasing... They've released literally or going to release every big major movie that has been um, that has been released since January, um, which is not the norm. There's usually a 90 day standard time window before you can actually release a movie on home video. So as an example, the movie that we are actually going to be talking about a little bit more in detail today, uh, The Invisible Man, uh, it actually was released February 28th um and it is now March 22nd and that is less than 30 days literally less than 30 days and it's out um it's out for rental like you can get a 48 hour rental on it you can just download it and you have you can watch it as many times as you want um for that 48 hour time period for 20 bucks um, there are other films and we'll talk about those, but I wanted to kind of get Scott's opinion about this and like his thoughts process on, on this kind of this, this breaking of that, of that time frame. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it made sense or makes sense for the films that were just in theaters, uh-huh. uh, because, you know, I mean, the, the thing that, that the public has to think about is, these film production companies and distributors nail down a date for their film a year or two years in advance, depending on how big the film is. And so what they're doing is staking out their weekend that they kind of intend to own with a movie. And then their hope is that their competition will kind of go to other weekends. Uh, and then of course you see, you know, people who decide, Oh, well, you know, we'll do counter programming. We'll put some, uh, you know, oddball comedy out against the horror movie and we can still probably peacefully coexist on that weekend, uh, and each draw our audience. But, uh, the issue becomes if the movie just came out and a week into that movie's run or two or three weeks into that movie's run, the virus hits and all the theaters are closed then, you know, you haven't necessarily made the amount of money that you were expecting to make. Uh, Because movies don't tend to really linger like they used to because there are just so many releases. Like, once again, you know, sounding like Father Time over here, but when I was a kid, you know, it was like you had one, maybe two new movies hit a theater in a weekend, and then they'd play for three months. You know, they I mean, they'd be there three, four months later. And if it was a hit like Star Wars when it came out, uh, you know, it played for the better part of a year. 
and and films like E.T. that stayed in, you know, uh, uh, theaters for forever. And so these days it's pretty much, you know, you hit, you make your money in two or three weeks uh, and then you start gearing up a home video release for like 90 days later. And so what these production companies have decided to do is let's go ahead and take our films that were didn't get their full theatrical run and roll them on over to VOD right now. And so the way those contracts work, if the exhibitor can't exhibit it, then you are allowed to break that window. And so the, obviously the exhibitor is not of their own fault, can't exhibit it because all the theaters are shutting down. So that gets rid of the window requirement. And so we're seeing uh, The Invisible Man, The Hunt, was released in theaters on Friday the 13th. That was their little kind of marketing ploy uh, for a horror-like movie was, you know, Friday the 13th. And by Friday the 20th, it's available as a $20 rental. And, uh, you know, the Ben Affleck basketball movie, The Way Back, uh, had only been out for a week or two, uh, and they're rolling it over to VOD next week. And so the idea is trying to recoup their money uh, on these films, you know, the, the interesting conversation is, does this change things moving forward or is this just a, we need to recoup our money and make the best of a bad situation. And then it will be business as usual when all the theaters open back up. I, uh, my personal opinion, I'm going to quote one of my favorite movies, contact. Why, why spend, why, why spend, uh, why spend, um, why not spend double the money for twice uh, for two of the same thing, which is, is that there's no way that theatrical is going away for the studios because it's a double dip. They get theatrical, then they get home video. Now, yep. Yep. Uh, now mind you right now, like I think that they're making profits on, they're making like 80 cents on the dollar right now for the digital downloads, at least 80 to 90% on those digital downloads. Um, which is a whole hell of a lot better than the 40% for the first week and then 50% the second week and then 60% the third week of, or I'm sorry, 40, 40 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar, and then 60 cents on the dollar on each progressive week in theatrical. Now, what I think it's going to do is I think it's going to put the theatrical, the distribution end into a very weird fighting mechanism like they're gonna face off i'm pretty sure studios and and theatrical are gonna face off because um if these digital downloads do well like say like at 20 bucks a pop all you need is 5 million people to download the hunt and you just made 80 million dollars because 80 cents on the dollar right like I was doing some calculations, the hunt would have had to have made two hundred and seventy-five million dollars to make a hundred million dollars for, for um, uh, for Universal if it did that. Right, two hundred and seventy-five million. Like that. That is the kind of money that you would think that maybe Onward would make, and Onward is actually available um to own now too. Like which is that's the big shocker. Like Onward comes out March sixth and. It's now available to own um, Friday night, two weeks later. Um, and, you know, that's a really clever way to one up the idea that the other side had. Yep. You know, it's like Universal decides, hey, we're going to put these out. Uh, they didn't get a full theatrical run. They're going to be available in your home, you know, just weeks after they were playing in a theater. But they're rentals. 
And so it was like the Pixar, you know, Disney folks one upped everybody and said, yeah, ours will be 20 bucks, but you can buy it for 20 bucks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so you can even see, you know, we're getting little competition models uh, even within uh, this, uh, you know, brief uh, kind of uh, period here. Uh, where there are going to be some some new economic rules for a few weeks in the in the film industry, and then they're not dummies. Uh, they give you a couple of weeks to buy your copy, and then they're going to roll it over to Disney Plus much much earlier than they ever would have. Absolutely, absolutely. Cash in on those subscriptions, all the little kids who want to see it on Disney Plus, whose parents never bit the bullet and subscribed, they're all of a sudden going to be subscribing. Well, absolutely. And then there's this different model of uh, there's this other thing. Um, which is, is that, and this is, this is smart for studios, um, because both Paramount, um, Universal and Disney all have kids films. Um, I think that the Disney model is a little bit, uh, is, is a little bit smarter with the whole purchase because Sonic, which was released, what, February 14th and is possibly the, I think it might actually be the biggest movie of the year so far, um, I think it made close to $200 million. It's now available. It's going to be available March 31st. So literally yep. in two weeks, it's going to be available to, to purchase um, and not. And here's the weird part. Not just like they didn't just make it available to purchase with no special features. They release. They're going to release all of the special features getting the Sonic like the Sonic fiends that are like my age because they, they, they of course, they probably want the special features, but also get the kids like you, you also get the parents that who cares about the special features, but they just want to own it because like, you know, one of our writers, Shane, he has three kids and they're going cabin fever. So, yep. you know, watch, watch and rewatch. Exactly. He's like, he was, I think he told me that they want, um, they downloaded onward and, um, they've been watching it pretty much in a loop. And I mean, <laughs> like like but that's smart for them um <clears throat> and i mean it's really smart because it's it's and you're right there's like this there's this one upsmanship um between the different studios because it's like you know you've got the uh the way back it's not just a rental it's actually you're going to be able to purchase it and it's like they they one up to everybody else by making it available in 4K Dolby Vision like the the most premier nice. premium version that you could get um the same with Sony Sony is actually I know I know nobody probably plans on seeing it but that might change uh with Bloodshot the Vin Diesel superhero movie <laughs> That's being sure. re- that's being released on yeah, Tuesday. Oh, you know, you you lock me away and give me no other options to do anything else. Uh, you know, I'll check it out, and it'll either be uh, surprisingly better than people were saying it was, or you can just uh, watch in horror at the train wreck. You know, it, exactly. And the funniest thing about uh, about uh, Bloodshot is that it's available for purchase also, but it's also 4K. So you're, you're having, you're having like these different people getting a little, well, that, that is like just getting it truly early. Yeah. It's because that's the way it would have been sold a few months from now. Exactly. And so instead of getting some, here's the quicker, uh, but less comprehensive version, uh, you're actually getting what the home video product would have been 90 days from now. No, absolutely. No. So like, I was going to actually ask you about that. Like, okay, so we both respectively watched two different movies. Uh, I watched the invisible man and we'll get to that in a second because you saw right. that also, but you actually went, uh, you actually watched, you rented the hunt. Um, 
I wanted to ask, I mean, first, like, how was the video quality on it? It was good. It okay. was really good. All right. Yeah, like I, yeah it was I, perfectly. Yeah, I've got like an 85-inch, you know, Sony 4K television and everything, and I thought that it looked great. Okay, absolutely. Now, now changing to quality, what did you think of the movie? You know, I have to tell you, and this is, this is kind of, it's almost the perfect film for this kind of a situation. And that kind of sounds funny, mm -hmm. uh, but it's like, you know, you're just at, at this point, at least with me, mm -hmm. uh, and then I imagine a lot of Americans between all of the virus stress, and then we all have our version of whatever stress this is causing at work. Yes. You know, are you literally going to be furloughed and kind of out of work? Like a lot of people in the restaurant industries and stuff like that. Or you're going to be working from home. How are you going to facilitate working from home? And so we've all got just kind of stress, stress, stress. And so right now I'm not really in the mood for some super serious, you know, drama. I mean, yeah. you know, you know, even if you, you know, put out like a, a film slated to be in one of the November prestige Oscar pick slots and bumped it up and dumped it onto home video right now, I don't know that I would watch it yet. Uh, because I'm just not in the mood for that. And so this was almost, to me, a perfect film for my mood. It it was, it had lots of action, uh, pretty gory action. Mm. Uh, and then uh, it would have moments that were truly funny, that was just like the satire, and it hit. Okay. And and then it had other moments that it was just so on the nose and bad. It was just like a total groaner, you know, where you just be like, oh, God, I can't believe they went there. Kind of that's awful. <laughs> and but in the end, it all combined to me to be fun. Okay. So uh, and, <laughs> and it's funny because I was watching it with my uh, my noise canceling Bluetooth headphones on. My wife is not a a big horror fan or not a big, you know, super gory action kind of fan. Uh, and so she was reading a book in the bedroom and we lived in, and we live in a loft apartment. And so there's only kind of just like this partition of bookcases, uh, that separates the room that I'm in from her. So I wear the headphones just out of courtesy, not to have all that kind of stuff blasting while she's trying to read. And she said that I would be in there going, Ooh, uh, or, or laughing or going, ooh, that's bad, or something. She said I was literally, like, muttering out loud uh, while I was watching this film. Uh, but I will tell you, uh, Betty Gilpin, who's the lead, mm -hmm. is just awesome. I mean, it's just, uh, it should be a coming out party for much better roles uh, for her. I mean, she just carries the whole movie and does it with just this sense of wit and, and it, it was great. I mean, the premise, I, I kind of just zipped right on into what, is it any good or not? <laughs> uh, but you know, it's based on like the most dangerous game idea, yes, uh, which has been done many, many, many times where, you know, some group of well-to-do somebodies, uh, are hunting literally, uh, lesser privileged people. And so, you know, we've seen this over the years as, you know, folks scooping up homeless people off of the street and setting them loose in the woods and these elites are going to hunt them. And so it always tends to be like these almost like Republican capitalist CEO looking type people mm -hmm. hunting the underprivileged yes. is almost always the way that those movies look. Um, 
And so this time they decided to subvert that idea and they're going to have the left wing elites hunting down the quote unquote deplorables. Mm. And and so you get, you know, the folks that just work blue collar jobs and, you know, somebody's a trucker and somebody's, you know, a diner waitress and stuff like this. And you've got these kind of almost like elite Hollywood snobs who have decided that it would be fun to hunt these people. And so you get all the political subtext in it. Uh, that, uh, that you would expect in that kind of a setup. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. And, uh, but when it works, it's honestly really funny. Uh, and, uh, and when it doesn't, it's just kind of like move on to the next moment. You know, it, it doesn't just land with a thud that lasts. Uh, but, uh, but one really cool thing that it does at the beginning, which I thought was just so clever and I won't give away, you know, how long it goes on, Mm -hmm. but they drop you in with who you think is going to be your POV character. Ah, okay. And And I think I know who that is. You discover the person is not. Mm, And so, and so what I will just say is that gambit keeps going. So you keep thinking, oh, I've settled in with my POV character and then something happens so that it's not. And, and so it's a nice little kind of bait and switch. I mean, they're playing on the fact that you have seen these kinds of movies before. Uh, you know, I mean, in some way, it's almost like an elaborate slasher film. You know, it's not ah. some, I mean, it's not some masked killer stalking teenagers kind of a thing, but it is people running from other people. Who's going to make it? Who's going to die? When is the killer or killers going to pop up? And so they play part of, you know, they play that for the good first third of the film. And so there, there's some really clever little twists in it because they're playing on the fact that you have the knowledge that you have. I mean, remember that it's coming from Blumhouse. Yes. And so, you know, they expect that horror fans are watching this. And so they do a nice job of playing on your preconceptions and misconceptions about what's going on uh, to uh, to pretty good effect. So I have to say, I mean, you know, uh, there have been a lot of people out there saying, oh, this is just so awful. And it's just, you know, grown inducing bad and all of that. And my reaction was, I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's like, don't take the thing too seriously. Uh, And yes, there are moments that I was like, oh, that's terrible. That's just so clumsy and clunky. And you should have just left that out. Uh, But but not that many. I mean, I just didn't think there were that many bad moments uh, in the movie. And so if you want a quick, you know, 90-minute thriller uh, that will provide uh, some excitement, a few laughs along the way, and really just a great central performance. I mean, she's kind of the ultimate final girl. Uh, in this uh, in this movie, uh, and and see Betty Gilpin, and uh, it's just uh, I found it enjoyable. Absolutely, I might have to actually uh, check that one out because I do really like uh, Betty Gilpin. I actually um, really like her um, Netflix series Glow, and she's mm-hmm. great. She's fucking awesome in it. Like I think that um, she gets under she she gets like um uh, in that show she gets overshadowed by um Allison Brie um mm-hmm. just because of the fact that it's Allison Brie's show but should not be taken away from the fact that she is a 
she's fucking she kicks ass so so yeah no absolutely i think i'm gonna have to check that out and i always find it funny that um that we can't take a movie on its own terms like it really does feel like this like this movie this is the second time this movie has been like cursed by bullshit uh the first <laughs> the the first time was during that whole that whole fiasco with the shooting which i don't know how it had anything to do with that and then also addition, yeah. like yeah. and then the whole like you know our like you know our our president with the whole thing about like not like like disapproving it or something and i'm like Mm -hmm. okay and then then this happens it gets released and then you know cov19 happens and the lockdown happens and literally this movie has just been cursed with bad luck um but like you talking to me about it like you telling us about the kind of the the kind of film it truly is, which I think that a lot of people have not been talking about, which is it sounds like it literally sounds like a throwback to the like the eighties, like the 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 mid nineties like action movies where like there was a series of them where uh, like rich elites hunted hunted like um hunted like poor people and like you said dangerous game, but it's also it but. It's like, who cares about what the political ethos of those rich people are? It's still rich versus poor. Like, I don't care. You know, it's like people don't. I don't know. It, it just it, it really feels like like people are taking this movie, which is just literally like it sounds like a like a like a B movie action gory throwback way too seriously. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I think it's it's just a premise uh, for a ready or not, uh, style film. All right. And, and so, uh, and so I found it to be entertaining. I was trying to remember, do you remember off the top of your head? I was sitting here running through IMDB while we were talking. There was a good version of this premise starring ice T. Yes. Surviving the game out back. Is that it? Yep, Ernest Dickerson. I was I was just I have a DVD. I have the DVD of it. Um it's not on Blu-ray, but I have the DVD because I was recently thinking about it because I um I recently uh watched uh Dickerson's uh movie Bones, the Stoop Dog horror movie, which is actually a lot mm-hmm. better than than I'd ever thought it was. Um and uh I was just like going through Dickerson's um filmography and found that uh that uh, i was like oh i think i actually have that movie and i actually do it's uh ice tea and he plays like a homeless guy uh ex like but he's like an ex-military guy and then um it's oh wow this cast is loaded out yes i was gonna say the cast is like a who's who rucker hauer and a great rucker hauer performance um it's it's a really gary Busey, mm-hmm. f murray abraham john c mcgillney Yep. McGinley, uh, Charles Dutton. I just, it, it re- just reminded me that I was like, I've seen this premise before. And I remember that the one, uh, the people playing one of the homeless folks, uh, who was running from these guys, uh, was iced tea. Yep. And then I couldn't remember what the name of it was. I wonder if that, you know, is that streaming anywhere? That I do not know. I'm going to find out right now. It looks like you can buy it on Amazon prime. Like a prime video, you can actually buy it. Cool. Yeah. But that's a, that's a great take on, uh, if you, if you like the idea uh, of the most dangerous game premise, uh, and you dig the hunt, that's kind of a, 
I guess at this point, frighteningly enough, almost a vintage version (laughs) of uh, uh, of that as far back as that goes. It's probably 25 plus years old, but uh, but I remember it being really good. No, absolutely. And then um, the other one. Uh, the, the other, the other one was, uh, hard target starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. That's, that's the goofy version of the really good version of surviving the game, like, uh, or surviving the game is like the good version of this premise. Whereas like hard target is like the goofy Jean-Claude Van Damme, John Woo overheated version of it. Um, both, which I love. I love those. Those both those movies are great, but yeah, surviving the game has some really, really great uh, actors in it. Um, And I'm going to have to rewatch that now. Uh, It's funny that the main thing I remembered was ice tea in that movie. And then go back and look at that amazing cast. Now, you know, one of the fun things about the hunt is, is that they're also, and I won't spoil it by naming them, uh, but there are a ton of like, indie film actors mm. who are in it, but in it briefly. Oh, okay. And so in other words, another one of those, you think that you're meeting a character. You're like, Oh really? He or she's going to be in this. Oh, that's pretty cool. Boom. And then you're like, and they're not going to be in this. <laughs> <laughs> so they do a really good job of showing you like some familiar character actor faces that you're like, Oh, this person's going to be in it. And then you find out, well, maybe not for much more than five minutes. And so it's really a great way to play with your expectations because you get an idea in your head of who is going to survive and who probably isn't. And you're figuring that the recognizable faces are going to stick around. And I mean, some do, but some don't. Uh, and so it's really fun at uh, playing with this idea of kind of like nobody's safe. Don't get attached to a, a particular actor or actress because nobody is safe uh, to make it to the end of this film. And so it's uh, it's it's very clever that way. Absolutely. And we should actually give a shout out to the director, Craig Zobel. Um, he made one of the most harrowing movies I saw in the mid uh, mid 2000s um, in compliance um, yeah, yeah, wow, that is an intense movie. Yeah, and if you guys just look up Compliance, and it's, yeah, it, it's one of those movies where I don't know if you necessarily want to watch it during a, a lockdown, because it is, like, harrowing is a, is a word for it, like, it, but, uh, like, you know, he's very, like, uh, Zobel is very acute. Um, in his in in his like direction in regards to like genre material because compliance is a is a genre film um but it's just it's it's a it's the kind of film that like yeah when you see the premise just know that it is not a pleasant movie it takes it takes its it takes its presence to the nth degree and it's one of those one movies like those movies where i'm like yep i remember every single piece of it i don't need to see it again but it is still a powerful powerful film um so hopefully hopefully this becomes um a cult item like because at this point it's already been it's been released it's it's bungled release twice so the only <laughs> thing we can hope for is maybe that uh, more people start watching it on home video um and right now because there's not much else to go on right now yeah uh, yeah no kidding it did certainly uh kept me entertained uh saturday night late <laughs> absolutely and um we'll now we're gonna get to the to the prime the the prime film of our 
uh, of our discussion because this is truly probably like as it stands right now i might actually make a case that the invisible man is probably the best movie of 2020 so far i i can't yeah yeah i I think that's fair i mean there there are a couple of others i might throw out there uh as contenders to to be you know running side by side with it but it's it's really good it's really really effective um in doing like it it's just smart filmmaking like like to me it's like like it comes down to like there's there's ways to make horror films and there's like there's so many different ways to take this to take a premise like this particular premise the invisible man and most of the time it's so kind of effects driven that it takes away from what is truly scary about the invisible man. Um, I think that like, I mean, I think we've both agreed and we've talked offline about uh, a Lee one L and upgrade something that I think that we'll probably end up talking about like an actual full episode of because uh, upgrade is just a kick-ass movie. But the thing that I think that upgrade does better than any other movie of its type is that it is smarter than you. And the invisible man is smarter than you um, in the way that it approaches the subject um it's basically i mean the the plot is pretty uh pretty simplistic it's um a woman uh has gotten away from a very abusive and controlling relationship with uh, someone who is a tech billionaire in um san francisco um in uh and i don't want to ruin too much but something happens that causes like it is it's very of the time right now in what we talk about with uh women and men's relationships and toxic relationships but something happens that forces things to tilt a little bit and begins our story and as our main character um played by elizabeth moss is rebuilding her life strange things start to happen and slowly but surely um it turns into this tightly wound and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Scott, I think of it as more of a nineties psychosexual thriller throwback without the sex. Um, yeah. Than anything else. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. And you know, the, the interesting thing I thought, uh, about it also, at least at the beginning Mm -hmm. was, uh, when you think about, how the the ability to be invisible sets up all of these kind of ways of getting rid of people yep that aren't just attacking them yep and so not to use something from the movie cuz i don't want to spoil it but let's say i know you're a smoker mm-hmm. and you smoke in your house so before you come home from work i go in and just turn your gas fireplace up full tilt yep so that your house is just filling with gas. Mm-hmm. So then when you come in later, I could already be gone. And when you come in later and light up your first cigarette, you blow yourself to hell and it would just be written up as an accident, but yet it was murder. Yep. And so there's, there's so often the invisibility idea is I can sneak up on you and attack you. 
Yeah. And in this, it's more like you can totally screw up people's lives or kill them or, you know, toy with them in, you know, uh, just mean little ways, scary ways, uh, because they can't see you coming. Yep. And so, I mean, just think, I mean, like this doesn't happen in the movie, but you know, somebody's paying their bills with online banking. And so you just stand there over your, over their shoulder and, you know, you're copying down their passwords and account numbers and all that kind of stuff. And then you could just bankrupt them overnight. And so this has that kind of sinister aspect to it. Those are not examples from the movie, but where you aren't safe, just kind of living your life because there's this invisible presence that could do things to you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the true terror comes from in this film is that it's it's nothing as horrifying as just the knowledge that the control is being taken away from you and it's being like your the the control in your narrative is being slowly taken away from you and may you're made to look insane. Like there are moments right. in this in this film where um uh, Cecilia, the the main character by Elizabeth, uh, played by Elizabeth Moss, who, damn, like Elizabeth Moss is like, like, like she just she taps into something that I think that I know that it, it sounds weird because we talk about like people playing everyday per- people, but I think that she does it in a way that's almost like Tom Hanksian in a way that you connect with her instantly and you don't feel pity for her. Like that's the biggest thing is that I never felt pity for her. I just, I was more like, I didn't, I never felt pity. I always was with her on this journey, which was kind of amazing. If you really think about it, because she's, there's oftentimes we're, we're forced in a position to where she's playing everything that makes the invisible man real. And that, to me, is the magic trick of the movie, is her not just sitting there fighting against nothing, but literally, like, making this this person a reality and this concept that slowly but surely is happening. Um, because the invisibility doesn't, like, kind of, like, what I loved about it, uh, it's not a spoiler, but it doesn't have, like, you don't get the invisibility until, what, about an hour and ten minutes into the movie? Right. Right. And, yeah. The, the, basically the kind of the explanation for it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the what's driving it. Kind of uh, thing. Yeah. Abs- absolutely. And, but her, like, this is like, in a lot of ways, this is a wonder for her because she's playing certain moments in like this really fantastic, like sense of reality that, I don't know if anybody else could have done like she's the MVP of this movie. Like, like there's a reason why definitely she got hired. Um, the one thing I was going to ask you about, like, like the thing that I loved about it was like the expectation and the directorial flourish of using negative space. Like (laughs) I was just about to mention the, 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 one of the things that it does so well is it makes nothing scary. Yep. So mean, meaning you're sitting there and at times the cameras, the camera will just focus on say like a dimly lit hallway. Yep. And then you're sitting there going, did that, did that curtain just move? Or did I imagine that that curtain just moved? Or, you know, does that look like that's kind of the shape of a, 
foot making an imprint on, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's like leaving you guessing as to like, is, is he there? Is that, Oh my gosh, he may be, no, no. And, and so it holds these shots, uh, these kind of static moments on like you're talking about on kind of uh, uh, relatively speaking, nothingness and makes it suspenseful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's, yeah. And it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's masterful the way that, uh, uh, that it does that, you know, uh, not, uh, not, you know, because it doesn't end with like a jump scare. Or, yes, he was there. And all of a sudden you can hear footsteps running down the hallway or something. I mean, sometimes it doesn't give you an answer. It's like, is he in there with her? Is he not in there with her? I don't know. It looks like he kind of, maybe that is something. And then the scene will be done. Yep. And so you don't know, you know, you, you, you don't know, uh, whether or not he was actually there. And so that's the, the frightening thing. No, absolutely. It's it. What I liked about the film was that it, it, for the first time, it didn't give any sympathy to the Invisible Man. Like it wasn't like it, or he wasn't the focus as a antihero, like in Hollow Man or even the original Invisible Man, um, right? Films, the Universal films. It it, it really focused right. on this woman, and in in an essence, like. What I loved about like the thing that that sealed it for me that I was like, this fucking movie rocks and this is like actually going to be a probably a top 10 um, is the ending is that last minute or the last two minutes um, in that final single shot that he holds like kind of like a I ha- I would hate to use like Jackie Brown as an homage like he mm-hmm. I, it feels like more of something else, but it's that moment that he leads he lets the camera sit on a particular character's face for like, like I said, like it seems like a minute. And I was like, that's how you do things. This is the way that you make a movie. Like this is like, this is horror at its premium best. Like it's at the tippy top. It's the top 1%. Um, and it also unexpectedly, it, it takes you like, it took me a minute to realize the bag. And it took mm-hmm. me a minute to realize mm-hmm what that what that means in context that if there's like the 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 bag and what that means in context to future things if that makes right. sense right. and yeah. and that final moment and then it just becomes this weird haunt it's not even weird it's like this perfectly haunting moment where you know exactly what's going to happen now you know yeah yeah no exactly but uh but yeah it's 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 incredibly well done. And, and I was thrilled to, uh, uh, see, uh, you know, some of the New York critics and folks who got kind of like the first crack at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like to read reviews. I don't like to inform my opinion that much before I go into something, but the general tweets were, this is really good. And so I went in prime to see something that would be good. And it was even better than, than what I was expecting. And so I was a big fan of upgrade. I really enjoy, uh, that film. I think that Lee Winnell is a, a great writer can come up with really, you know, an interesting premise. Uh, you know, uh, don't blame him for all of the sequels, but you know, he wrote the first saw film. Mm-hmm. And so that was a very clever movie. I mean, if you go back and just watch the first one, uh, you know, it's a very clever film, uh, kind of playing against your expectations, uh, in that with a nice big hook at the end of it. That was a nice surprise that I, at least I never saw coming. Nope. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, and, and upgrade, uh, was a really original idea, 
but his uh, execution uh, as director uh, it may be even greater than his abilities as a screenwriter. I mean, he compliments himself uh, very well that he can come up with these original ideas, but then execute them in a very, you know, visually interesting way. Absolutely. Um, Insidious also. He wrote, he co-wrote yep, yep, he, yep. the first two, and then he directed the third one, which, like, if, if no one has seen the third one, um, I strongly suggest it just because it's... Um, I think that the third Insidious is... Is that the one that focuses on Lin Shay's character? Exactly. That's the reason why I was going to say it's a Lin Shay Valentine. Uh, Yeah. uh, An actress actress that just has never gotten, like, really great, like, a really great, like... um, I don't know. It's like I I wouldn't say series, but hasn't gotten like a a movie that's central to her. And that one, man, it was like Lee Winnell was hungry, she was hungry, and he was like, "Let's just do this. Let's just make this kick ass little horror movie, and nobody will be yeah, expecting." That one is really good. I remember liking one, thinking that two was meh, and then three was really good. Yeah, like like one and three are interesting because they're both like for, so like one is James Wan just super hungry and knowing that he needed to make something great. And then like three is kind of like the same way with Lee Whannell, where it's like, you know, his buddy has gone off to make super big budget movies and he's got to make his own bones. And I kind of love that, that like, you know, insidious three leads to upgrade, which leads to the invisible man, which he's his own. Like what I love about it is that both him and James Wan are completely separate filmmakers. Like they're, they don't even approach the, the, they don't even approach the they even though they have like they were they were like writing partners and like filmmaking partners for a long time they don't even approach filmmaking the same way like Lee Wanell's Invisible Man as opposed to James Wan's Invisible Man would be completely different and um Wanell is just like it's exciting to me like i like it's it, like like, it's exciting to me, like, to watch this movie and realize just, like, this is, like, peak horror. And to see what he does next is the thing that I'm most interested in. Is, and he's got a, what, a exclusive production deal with uh, Blumhouse right now. Yep. That's that's that, what The Invisible Man led to was, uh, I think it's a three-year uh, deal that he'll be doing, you know, original things for them. Yep. And you know what his next supposedly what his next film is that he's working with Blumhouse on, right? Don't know that I do. So supposedly and this is all up in the air now because of the lockdown, um, (laughs) but it's Escape from New York. Oh, wow. Okay, I guess I had somehow missed that. I knew that uh, as far as like the universal uh, remakes were concerned that they have uh, Karen Kusama on board to take a stab at uh, updating Dracula. Yes, and uh, but I didn't know what Lee Whannell's next project is. That's interesting. That's a, that's a movie that's near and dear to my heart. So if ever I would be critical of somebody, uh, it would be somebody remaking that film. So it'll be interesting to see if he can maybe defy expectations and 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 do a bang up job of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I just, I want to see him and Logan Marshall, uh, Logan Marshall Green kind of take that on. Like, I feel like that, that would be like a, a repairing from upgrade would be kind of amazing to see them and what their, their version of it, because it almost like 
this is the remake that I want. I want a lo-fi, low-budget version of it with somebody who maybe is on the cusp of becoming like exactly where Carpenter and, and Russell were. Like, so I'm excited about it. I, I'm also excited if they decide to do an Invisible Man sequel because you know that he's going to do something different or he's going to approach it differently. Yeah, I would argue that the end of the movie sets up the sequel, but yes. we will we will see. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the, like the, the bag that you were referring to. Yes. And her look like that's yep. just like and it becomes it becomes an, a much more interesting to me that that turn becomes a much more interesting version of of the of of the invisible man. And and I almost wonder, do you call it the invisible man? Right. (laughs) Like that would be a great, that would be a great thing though. Like to keep it like that. Or or do you change it to the other, the the other thing? And uh, I'm not going to ruin, I'm not going to ruin it, but, um, but yeah, um, it's, it's a really great film guys. Like, like this one is the one that you want to, like, if there are any of the, from the list of, of the things that, that are out right now or coming out, uh, be it the gentleman, birds of prey, Sonic, the hedgehog, Emma, invisible man onward, uh, the way back, the hunt bloodshot. And then, um, uh, yeah, that's it. Um, this one is the one that you would like, if you're, if you're into, if you can handle like, you know, thrillers or horror films, then this is the one that you want. This is definitely the one you want. Did you uh, did you see Elric Kane's quote about seeing this versus seeing uh, the uh, new film that uh, uh, Danzig made? No, no. <laughs> For those of you who might not follow him, Elric Kane is is a great uh, uh, Twitter follow, but he's also a great podcaster, uh, and he's on a, a show called Shockwaves that discusses predominantly horror movies, uh, and then he's also on something called uh, the Pure Cinema uh, podcast, where they discuss all kinds of things from you know cult cinema to cinephile titles to you name it, uh, and so he's he's a great uh, you know film critic uh, in his own right. But uh, his tweet said, $20 may seem steep to see the invisible man, but it pales in comparison to the $5 I just spent on Veronica. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen Veronica. Oh, man. that That's a... Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and I agree completely. I've seen both of them as well, and so I thought that that's a good point. That you know, I mean, if if you are 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 quarantined with uh, one other person who would genuinely like the Invisible Man, you know, ten bucks a head, you probably can't go to your local theater where it opened uh, to see it for that, and so uh, you know fork over the 20 bucks and at least see something that's truly going to keep you entertained for a couple of hours. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and with that guys, uh, we will be back, uh, in probably next week. Um, if not sooner, I know that, um, I know that, uh, uh, Shane wants to actually, uh, sit down and talk a little bit. He's got a couple of films that he's been dying to talk about. So we might, I might do that. If Scott wants to join, he's always welcome as he knows because he's cool. the co-host. Um, but we will definitely be doing this in the foreseeable future. Um, talking about maybe not about these, these releases, but things that, uh, strike our interest. Um, and, uh, 
just, you know, know that we're going to be here for the unforeseeable future. So that's either a good thing or a bad thing. (laughs) But with that, guys, um, thank you for your listenership. Uh, It means a lot to us, and we will talk to you soon.